Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. Or, sorry, an edition of the Intelligence Podcast. We're actually recording. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by H.J. Preller. Wow, it's been a while, Marver. I know. A lot, know. A lot of effort to get you over here. Yeah. It's, uh, it took an it took an emergency podcast to get you onto the podcast. Well, that's not entirely true. We did try to record a podcast a couple weeks ago, and as I remember correctly, Corey and I, our reception was perfect, and yours was rated very poor by the very poor. Uh, service we were trying to use. Um, yeah, I mean, coming into the year, and, and maybe we can touch on it for a minute before we get into the trade deadline, but coming into this season, like until the game started to be played, I did not think there was going to be a year. I just I wasn't even paying attention to offseason moves. I wasn't really even I was just so pessimistic that any sports would happen. Um, but they've definitely played a lot more games than I anticipated. So obviously we Well, and, and this yeah. was obviously lost uh, to history the 10 minutes we were able to record on that episode, but I strongly and firmly believed and still believe that anyone that follows the money should know that the season was going to happen. There's literally billions of dollars at stake to get through the playoffs. Yeah, it, it, it's all for nothing if they don't make it to the playoffs, and so obviously they're gonna they're gonna find a way to do that. Yeah, and I mean, I think for me at the time it was just until I see sports getting played, I'm not gonna get my hopes up. But hey, sports have been played, and I think this is the first time for reals that we are recording a podcast where the Padres are actually good at baseball. Yes, well. The, uh, the, to be fair, we had probably early 2015, the first week of the season, we probably had a podcast. We did, but see, we were erroneous in our thinking that they were good. We were excited. Yes, we yeah. thought they might be good, but they were but not to good. To be fair, 94% of our podcasts have been while the Padres have had a losing record. Am I, that's a fair <laughs> estimate, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that might be even optimistic, just to be honest. I, I mean, unless you're counting the zero and zero record off seasons. <laughs> Let's be let's be very clear here. The the Padres currently have a uh, twenty one and fifteen. Twenty one and fifteen record. Extrapolated yep. into a hundred sixty two game paradigm, that's what, like sixty five and forty eight or something? Like an incredible record. Yeah, I, I think at this point it it would be very difficult for them not to make the playoffs. If you just go Look at the NL standings. For one, the NL teams are very Terrible. much struggling in interleague play. Yeah, so or, or, or top heavy. It's very top heavy. It is very top heavy. You have the Dodgers and you have the Padres and the Cubs. Right. You know, I would put well, the, Cubs it, in that the, the the first place teams in each of the divisions are are very good, and yep. every other team in those divisions are very bad. Yeah, it's looking like there's probably going to be three teams from the NL West, or at least very strong possibility that the Rockies, Padres, and Dodgers are all in the playoffs. I'm not so sure on the Giants or D-backs anymore, but... But but there's a real possibility there's four. I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, San Francisco at 17 and 19 is... They're not quite in, but they're very much on the edge. They're one win out from being in there. Like, that's how bad things are with the rest of the league. And, And... for once, I think we can be very confident the Padres are a playoff team. I, I'm willing to, to openly declare that right now. Yeah, no, I think we it, we are a fan. It's, we it's, are a fan and a podcast for a playoff team. <laughs> you know, it's going to be great when they go like three and seventeen after this podcast, and you know we get yelled at. But in any case, yeah, I think this is honestly the first time they've been good 
in a long time. I think even a lot of people would argue the 2010 team was lucky and not necessarily good. Um, it's been a long time since they've actually played baseball this well, and this might be their best lineup ever. I, and I'm Agreed. not kidding. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, part of it's because their history is so pathetic. Um, if you look at where the team has finished in home runs uh, each season, the highest they've ever finished in home runs, I think, is sixth. <laughs> and like, well, I, I think it's rec- as recently is- as last year. It was a good bit on Twitter to to highlight what the OPS was for the lineup, and it was generally six out of nine with a sub seven hundred OPS, and it's like a it's like a just a sea change this year on what we're looking at. Yeah, it's it's been incredible. Um, I mean, pretty much everything that could go right. I mean, not everything, but like a large portion of everything that could have gone right has gone right. Grisham's incredible offensively, certainly. Tatis has taken a step forward. Machado's back to Manny Machado. Eric Hosmer's hitting fly balls and looks good. Jake Cronenworth, <laughs> what a find that was. I mean, the only the only negative really is Tommy Pham getting hurt. And, okay, you know, I'll take that. Like, that's not a, a bad trade-off uh, given what we've seen so far. Um, which brings me to the trade deadline and why we're in this position today. The Potters are buyers. It's, it's kind of cool. It's been a long time. It's hard... Uh, I'm sure for most Padres fans, having sat through so many years of acquiring prospects and accumulating, you know, hot lava talent and whatever the buzzwords were, to now shift mindsets and become a buyer and like try to put yourself in the mindset of, okay, you know, this trade's going to increase our chance of winning the World Series a quarter of a percent. You know, which prospect am I willing to give up for that? I think it's something that none of us are calibrated to at this point because the last time they made trade deadline moves it was 2010. They acquired uh, three guys. The two notable ones were Tejada and Ludwig. That's the last time that the Padres were really anywhere close to thinking about acquiring players at the deadline. Um, right. I, I think the only other player we ever acquired was Mark Shepshinsky. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that that was a way, that was a that was a that desperate was attempt to make the t- they, is that the 2015 team to make them yeah relevant? where they held on to Upton they didn't trade Upton yeah. yeah. And, and so that's like interesting that we're talking about 2015 it, because I think that's I think the idea that there's going to be this flurry of trades, which there has been so far today, um, has kind of brought a lot of feelings back to remind us as fans of 2015. But I think it's important to point out that the situation is very, very different in that in 2015, we were talking about somehow turning around a team that was 77 and 85 the year before somehow turning you know gaining 13 to 15 wins whereas this year we're talking about a team that is one of the best teams in major league baseball already and adding pieces to it It, it's it feels the same because it's a preller palooza but it's it it is very different i what i like this time around is that it's you know the first time around obviously it was very exciting and i think a lot of us got caught up in that myself certainly included um, but I think what's nice to see this time is it's not. Hey, I feel like w- was it you that said that Max Fried would never be a major league pitcher? It was no, you, no, right? No. I think it was you. I it think it was not, you. It was definitely not me. I said that Max. I'm Fried pretty was sure. The, I'm pretty no, sure it was you. That's not. I'm pretty I sure. I, I'm pretty sure I've already <laughs> sent it off to John Weisbarth to do a, a, a great moment in in Marver. Actually, that uh, go for it. All I ever said about Max Fried is he has pretty much no chance of ever winning a Cy Young statistically, based on his early minor league performance. And for that reason, I thought he was a bust. Interesting. Which I still stand by. I think he's a bust for where he's where he was picked. But in any case, uh, back to actual Padres here today. I think what's interesting about this 
trade deadline in the Preller Palooza is that, you know, I felt like last time it was so spur of the moment and it was exciting because the Potters were getting players. But at the same time, they were giving up players every single time. They were giving up, you know, a lot of the top prospects. They were giving up a lot of their top major league players and they were absorbing money to do it. So, you know, it seemed at the time a bit reckless, which I think made it kind of more fun. It was like a real gamble. But this time around, it's like totally the opposite, I feel like. He's he's acquired small pieces at tremendously small, I- I- insignificant costs. Are um, you are you including the, the, the Mariners trade from an hour ago? Cause we'll, we'll get to that one, and that's still a small cost. I think, you know, compared to the 2015 uh, sprees, I would consider what he did in the in the NOLA trade to be kind of small potatoes but but let's break down can we talk can we talk phil uh, before we get into the details of the trades today can we talk philosophically for a second sure so you you brought up 2010 that was a team that had surprised everyone that was an exciting team you know because it was a winning baseball team um tejada was a great pickup but the the one that most padres fans um talk about today is trading Corey kluber for ryan ludwig right now, obviously, that was a terrible trade in retrospect. Corey Kluber was a you know a, a Cy Young winner, like a borderline Hall of Famer. But Marver, in your opinion, let's say Ryan Ludwig had OPS nine fifty after that. The Padres made it deep into the playoffs because mm-hmm. of the addition. Wouldn't you, as a Padres fan, agree that though Corey Kluber is excellent, and we're sad to lose him? that there is an argument to be made to defend that trade. And and, and the biggest well, problem with the Corey the biggest problem with the Corey Kluber trade is not that we traded Corey Kluber, but that we obtained Ryan Ludwig who sucked. Yeah, and the team I, missed I the playoffs. I, I, I think yes, in general I agree with. See the thing is that trade in retrospect isn't even bad. Like it's bad knowing who the players are and like the future they had. But if you put yourself in the mindset at the time, Corey Kluber was not considered one of the Padres' top prospects. He was kind of like, you know, a mid-level prospect. Maybe he'd make it sort of guy. Like and, a, you like know, a number, number 20 prospect in the system, if yeah, I and, recall. And you know what? Sometimes those guys are going to hit. And, you know, if if you're the team that still like, that has him when he hits, that's great. But, you know, nine times out of ten, he's not going to hit. And so if you're a team in the position to make a playoff run and you can add a player that's going to increase your odds of making the playoffs – and it costs you someone who most of the time you're never going to miss at all. I, I feel like sometimes you have to do that. And if you're in the other position, then obviously it makes sense to take a take a gamble, right? Like, you know, Ludwig did not make a whole lot of sense at that point in time for the Cardinals, who then shipped him in a three-way trade to the Padres. Um, and, you know, if you're the Indians, if, if you're in a position where you're not going to win and you can get rid of Jake Westbrook and pick up a prospect in return, then you're going to do it. Um, you know, it's just it's interesting because the Padres were in that latter position for so long, and now we're actually the team acquiring players. But you know, on the, well, the, here, here's kind of where I'm coming the from. The Ludwig though. trade that that made the thing with Ludwig for me wasn't that he sucked as a Padre. He did suck as a Padre. There's no question. He had like an 850 OPS elsewhere. He came here. He sucked. He left. He, he, played he, for the he actually made the year. he, he actually made the team. Again. He actually made the team worse than it was before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a really bad end of the season. Um, to me, the the issue with the Ludwig was actually when we dealt him, and he was, we were supposed to be getting a player to be named later, but we ended up getting cash. Not it's a big deal, but it was just a ownership lying. That was 
to me, that's the thing I took out of the Lugwood trade the most. I, you're going to get burnt on trades. You're going to make trades where you trade Corey Kluber for <laughs> Ryan Ludwig, but you're also going to make trades where you trade Andy Sheets for Phil Nevin. You know, the Padres have been on the winning end of a lot of those weird trades just as much as it, they've been on the losing end. Um, so. Well, so on, on, on a philosophical level, I bring it up because I think there is this expectation that when the Padres are trading prospects that we can only trade prospects that are going to suck or bust. And I think that there are certain positions where it's okay to trade a player that's going to be good someday. But what you're doing is you're time shifting production in 2023 for production in 2020, because we're on the brink of a world. We, we could be a world series team. Like, and so I think that when we go into the trade deadline and look at this, there's a, a real potential that Taylor Trammell is going to be a good major leaguer. But it doesn't mean that we lose the trade when we trade top prospects if we are time-shifting production into this year and we're going for a World Series. It's like, not even I, just I think that. It's, it's, there's also the side of it where it's like, you know, a trade happens and there's all these armchair GMs. And this obviously includes myself. I do this every single trade who sit there and, and offer some sort of authoritative stance on if it's a good trade or not. And then within, like, you know, a month of baseball being played, it looks the exact opposite. I think the most recent one of those, you know, is the Davies and Grisham acquisition for Urias, or as you named him on Twitter, Urias, and uh, Eric Lauer, which looks like an incredible win for the Padres at this point. And, you know, a lot of the systems when the trade happened were very anti the Padres side. I think right, ESPN's it was that, that trade Davies. value calculator had, you know, the trade being worth something like fifty million more dollars for the Brewers, um, right? Like, the like Padres, Davies. Davies was looked at as a liability in those calculators at the time. Not even just on the calculator, but in in my brain, I was saying that I don't even think he should be in the rotation. And now he's our best starter right now. Not, not that I'm saying he's better than Denelson Lamette, but statistically, so far, he's been the most productive. Right. Yeah. Um. So. I think that's the way I, I go into the trade deadline kind of looking at things. It's And I'm going to be very open here. I am on the side of watching this team and seeing a team that I believe has the potential to not just make the playoffs, which I think is a weak, uh, poor goal for Especially a team. Especially this year. I, I, I think at any point settling for – Man, I sure hope we make a wild card and we make the playoffs. I think that's weak. I, I think that's not a great goal for a, a professional baseball team. I think, but when I watch this team, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this team has World Series championship potential if the right moves are made. And I think that very much changes the calculus for how we approach a trade deadline or trades or transactions or whatever. I, I, I think that it changes the entire strategy. Yeah, I, I, the people that are were satisfied with just making the playoffs, especially, I mean, look at this season. There's going to be eight teams from each league. You're more likely it's, to make the playoffs it's, than not. It's, it's not, not that. It's, it's not it's, that big of a, a, a achievement to make the playoffs this year. No, it's not. I, I mean, there's a real likelihood that half of the playoff field has a losing record. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a chance. I, I don't think that'll statistically as it, it's tough. To as it is right now, way. as yeah. it is right now, I think that's the case. Yeah, I would be. I would be willing I'd, very strongly to bet money that won't be the case, but I think there will be a couple teams with losing records in there, for sure. It almost has to be that way. 
And, and so that's that's a weak goal. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that's a goal anyone should be looking for. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about the trades um, real quick. Uh, there's been four of them so far. Now, by the time this podcast comes out, this could be obsolete. But we'll try to touch on all of them here. Uh, yesterday, the Padres acquired Trevor Rosenthal, relief pitcher from the Kansas City Royals. You probably know him from his time with St. Louis. He's got a lot of postseason success. Throws very, very uh, hard <laughs> pitches, um, but has had some control issues over the course of his career. They gave up Edward Olivares and a player to be named later um, in that trade. Uh, if you can give me one word, jag off on that one, how do you feel? Um, okay. Okay. I, I, it's okay. I, w- I would say I feel great about that one. I, I think that we gave up nothing. And so, yes. Um, Edward Olivares was never going to be anything here. I mean, he, he's on the forty man, yeah, but he wasn't going to be on the. He's like one of the first people to get cut next year when they when they would have to add people onto the forty man. Like he's he's just not a guy. I mean, you you don't you don't desperately clutch fifth outfielders, right? It's not a yeah. It's not a big deal. Like if he worked out, he'd be a fourth outfielder. There, there's just not a reason to care. Um, Trevor Rosenthal is interesting. The the Royals have followed the the blueprint that the Padres have done so many times. In fact, where we've actually taken advantage of the Royals when we traded <laughs> yeah. like Ryan Buckter over there and Trevor um, Dale, yeah, yeah. And so you hope that he keeps it going. I I don't know if he will. As Padres fans well know. Most of the relievers that we've rehabilitated and sent off, you know, cashed in at, at, at the high price, generally have fallen apart after the trade. So, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I do know that I watched Trevor Rosenthal quite a bit last year when, when he started off the season with the Nationals and, like, failed to get an out for, like, however many outings he had. He, he can be very bad. Yes. And in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Javi Guerra, where... He will have. He obviously throws really hard and has really good stuff, but he there's a high likelihood of a of a blow up outing, you know. Like the big thing is consistency w- at the professional level, and I hope he has it. He's has so far this year, but then again, so did Trevor Cahill and Ryan Buckter when we sent them to Kansas City. So I, I don't know. Given that we gave up nothing in my eyes, it's. Okay, I think it's good. It's it's yeah, good think, to okay. I think for me, the way that I look at it is, would you rather have Rosenthal pitch than Craig Stammen? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And if you're giving up nothing to make that improvement, then I think you have to be happy with it's it. It's a it's it. There's no doubt that it's a net benefit to the yeah. team, right? I, I I don't think it's a season saving move, but it's a net benefit. Okay, so we're both on board with that one. How about Mitch Moreland? So the Padres acquired Mitch Moreland today. Uh, Mitch Moreland, the left-handed DH for the Boston Red Sox. Been there for a few years. He does have a $3 million option for next year. So if the DH stays in effect, which I think most people are expecting it will, uh, we do have a pretty cheap option for someone who can mash right-handed hitting. um, Right-handed pitching, sorry. Uh, How did you feel about that one? Again, the Padres did not give up I think anything that we would consider our top talent, they traded Jason Rosario, who I guess you know some people do like him. Um, I would say he's probably the the main guy in that deal. Uh, what did you think about that one? Excellent, it's yes. excellent. Yeah, the Padres' DH performance has been 
poor to garbage. terrible. They, I mean, yeah. they played they played uh, utility infielder there today. Right. I I, I mean, we're putting who, who generally plays DH. It's 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 Naylor, uh, France. Uh, I mean, they're OPSing under 700. So I mean, they've been rotating it too. I mean, they've been giving some guys day offs there because we don't have an actual DH. Right. Um, like we were just talking about how if you look at the lineup, like the OPS is is off the charts compared to previous years. The exception to that is is one of the exceptions is DH, which has been terrible. Which and, is so odd because it should be the one that's the most off the well, charts. And it's important because when you compare it to other teams. Uh, the, generally, the DH is is not terrible, so that's yeah. that's like a, a, a te- in a competitive way, it's it's incredibly awful that our DH is so terrible. So, um, given look, Jason Rosario seems very athletic, and and the people that talk to him seem to like him, but he has no power. He's f- fine, but like he's a twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three guy. Like it's not, it's fine. And then Hudson Potts couldn't hit at double a last year it's these are guys that just aren't rosterable onto the 40 man roster you know coming up so i will say in in that trade though the two players he gave up were still pretty young and playing at levels that were more advanced for their age so like i I think that's the one where and and i know people will point to the mariners trade but i will actually point to this one as the one where i see two guys who statistically not doing that well i'm not super excited about them as prospects but at the same time, they're in double A and high A and like doing all right ish, and they're still pretty young. So I, I see that there's a chance that those blow up in our face. But at the same but time, Potts, like, I'm not Potts is, these guys. Potts is blocked. I mean, where are you going to put the yeah. guy? No, you no, know, I, and, and and it's not like his skill set really wows me. He strikes out a ton. He's got some power, uh, but he seems like he's going to be like maybe a, if he makes it like an 800 OPS type guy at third base, which is fine. But he's very very blocked and if that's his upside i'm not like super, but but like we were talking about mitch Moreland is an 800 ops guy or Ooh. better and yeah. we're trying to time shift performance into this year um and if, if we're out of all of the trades if we're talking about marginal improvement this trade more than the others has created the most marginal improvement over our previous positioning at dh oh i agree or, or, I mean, or any position I mean, like this is our this is our four, biggest he, yeah he's, he's got a 430 on base percentage this year and granted the the Marin or the uh, red sox haven't had him face a left-handed pitcher once yet so i mean we this is obviously just platoon splits but still 430 on base percentage i mean that plays obviously anywhere um, right to get him for two players we're not going to really miss you know what mega win Right. Who, by Megan the way, we're, by the way, who are coming up on the Rule Five eligibility too? Right, and, and and may not have been rostered. Like you look at who who the priorities were for next year, and honestly, Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario aren't aren't at the top of my list. Yeah. So yeah. so to me, this is the biggest improvement to this team out of all of the trades today so far. This improves the team the most, and so given that I don't think that we gave up anyone that we're ever going to miss. Um, it's fine. And, and like like what I said in the very beginning, if Jason Rosario becomes a 290 hitter with good OBP someday, that's fine. It's not a loss for the Padres, but this is the right move for right now. This is a team that's contending for a World Series, and you can't just give up trash to get good players back. Like it's, it's yeah, and, he's, and he's got a $3 million option for next year, which he could be a small. Right. 
you know, I, I think he'll be a marginal improvement over it, certainly. Especially sure. if they have expanded rosters and DHs and you can just have them in there to face right-handed pitching. For three million bucks, you can do a lot worse than an eight hundred. Look, e- even even the old the old roster size, there's generally room for platoon players. So, especially outstanding platoon players, and that's what I think Moreland is. Yeah, I'm not sure. He, the thing is, like, he, he has great numbers this year, but typically he's pretty ho hum. Like, like he's still an above average hitter, and of course, you know, you can platoon him, and that that means you can kind of take advantage of his strengths and hide those weaknesses um, which you know for some players you can't do so like I, I'm on board with him but but I still think like you look at our lineup he's got to be the what the sixth or seventh bat in that lineup I hope they don't end up putting him super high up because I, I think part of this season's a mirage I think six 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 am I right um I don't know I, I honestly I probably have him behind Hosmer and Myers yeah, and that's pro- a good point yeah six Six seven ish. I don't know. He's six seventh. Yeah, that's that's probably about right. I don't know. T- Tingler doesn't seem to want to put Cronenworth uh, high in the lineup for whatever reason. But yeah. Um, so yeah, though I think those first two were were pretty obvious wins. The next two I think are a little more con- controversial, although they're still you know not major. Like uh, it's not like they traded Mackenzie Gore or anything. Um, so this morning, or I guess this afternoon, they acquired catcher Jason Castro from the Angels. They gave up Gerardo Reyes, a uh, relief pitcher. I think you can maybe remember him, 100-mile-an-hour flamethrower. Uh, he's had various injury issues. But um, what, what did you think about that one? Uh, in a vacuum, it's it's good. It's good. I, I mean, what was Castro last year? Like a just ba- almost a two-war catcher? Um Hernando Reyes, three OPS plus last year, so above average hitter. Yeah, um, I've watched a lot of Gerardo Reyes through the years. He he seemed to be at the storm for forever. He's short. He throws really hard. Uh, he has no idea where the ball is going, and it, sometimes it's exciting. But there's there's really no need for Gerardo Reyes in this, you know, prospective bullpen. I think. I mean. I don't think anyone's ever going to miss Gerardo Reyes. It, it, it's it's fine. Castro's, Castro's better than what we have. And there was this feeling that Terenz was going to be some kind of savior from from Hedges' poor hitting. Terenz has not been good at defense or at offense. And I think there's a, a real possibility that he's not a major league catcher. Um, and so obviously there's a need for some kind of catching help. And if you look out at the market, I, I think Make the Padres Great Again did this in their last episode, but they, they basically went through most of the catching prospects that were out there, and they're all pretty poor. Castro might be one of the better ones, and if we can get him for a unnecessary reliever that couldn't even make the expanded roster this year, I think that's that's a win. Not a mega win, but it's a win. Yeah, I think the only thing that gives me reservation with Castro is I look at his numbers, and he seems to be just like kind a kind of slightly better Austin Hedges of the plate. Like, it's going to be the same feast or famine sort of thing where it's you know he's going to hit two ten with a little bit of pop. Um, I think he's just got slightly more pop, and his two ten is definitely better than Hedges one seventy. So when what, you're going from you, Austin what, Hedges, everything looks good. You know, what have you thought about Hedges the past couple of weeks though? Because there has actually been some pretty 
definitive improvement in Hedges' hitting, hitting at least. I, I mean, do you think he's a lost cause? He, because he's th- a, there he's has a lost cause. I, I I do think one thing that's key with with Hedges is that Tinkler still has him like sacrifice bunting with two men on and like no outs. Like it's he does he's lead, basically he, he leads all of baseball in sacrifice hits so far this year with five. Well, by the way. well. Ke- Ke- Kevin Acey was <laughs> Kevin Acey was all too happy to point that out to us. Um, it seems to me that Tingler realizes he sucks, right? I mean, here's here, here's the thing with Hedges. Uh, yeah, sure, he's had a couple of decent games recently, but coming into the year, he had a two fifty seven career on base percentage. This year, he's at two sixty two. So right there, before the year, he had a three sixty career slugging percentage he has a 352 slugging percentage this year so he, he's being exactly who he's been um and our opinion of him was that he sucks so i'm not i'm not budging from that based on f- 65 more plate appearances that confirms that he still sucks like he's he's definitely it's it's it is kind of frustrating to watch the padres offensively score so many runs while austin hedges is in the lineup because i feel like as much fun as it's been winning games like today, like 13-2, to two, I feel like if Hedges wasn't in there, and I know this is totally unfair and not how the math works, but I feel like if he wasn't in there and there was a decent hitting catcher, they would be winning some of these games like 20-2, to two, maybe 20-3. to three. Maybe they'd give up an extra run because Hedges isn't catching. But I feel like he's just such a black hole, and so even when we have these games where it's just like incredible how many runs they're scoring and hits they're getting, there's still that black hole in the lineup that's that's getting out most of the time. When when we entered this season, did you expect that Mejia would be literally worse than Hedges? Um, no, <laughs> I don't think anyone's. I w- I'm not expecting anyone to be worse than than Hedges. Have you given up on Mejia? Like like, what did you see from him this year? Uh, not very much. I mean, he he got hurt like almost immediately. Well. He he got plenty of at bats in, in the beginning of the season. Like like they did give him a fair chance. Yeah, I mean he he he, he, he was very bad. He got like maybe 50, 40. Yeah, Not that's a whole about lot. right. I'll I'll look it up, but yeah. he's he was very bad. Very bad. Yeah. Do you think the team's given up on him? Um, I mean, with the second trade, if if they end up pulling on the Nola, then then yes, it does seem like they maybe gave up on him. I'm not. Uh, I'm not high on Mejia. I think he's done here. Like, I I I just have this feeling he's done here. I think it's probably a little bit too early for that. To clarify, we'll he he did have uh, he did have forty at bats. Uh, yeah. OPS. Uh, Actually, WRC plus uh, negative ten this year. That's pretty good, so right? That's that's pretty good. He saved good. ten runs. Yeah, <laughs> pretty great. Um, yeah. All right, let's get to the the last trade of today, which is probably the biggest one. Yeah, so the Padres acquired <clears throat> Mariners catcher Austin Nola. I'm I'm, I'm going to put catchers in air catcher in air quotes there, um, and also two relief pitchers, notably Austin Davis. And they gave Austin, up Taylor uh, Austin Adams. Oh, Austin Adams, sorry, yes. And they gave up uh, the not negligible number of players. They gave up uh, Taylor Trammell, uh, Ty France, among others. Um, what did you think about that well, one? Andres Munoz, that's a big one. Uh, sure. And then sure. Terenz. I'm I'm having trouble understanding it. 
I, I think that it's possibly a first step in another deal, which would obviously change our analysis and calculus on it. But if we're looking at it as a standalone deal, I don't, um, I don't know if I get it. I, I'm not super excited about it. How, yeah, how about a, you? It's the first one where I look at it and I say, we could really regret that one. And, and knowing ahead of time, no, no, you, you actually opened this one of your opening comments in the episode was that we've been able to obtain pieces without trading anything of note or value, which I would have agreed with until I saw this trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be very clear here. We traded the, the franchise's number, I guess, consensus number five prospect. Sure. Andres Munoz is was before he had arm problems, you know. Where, where where do you think he plays? I mean, he was he was at least a setup setup reliever. He was he was going to be a high sure, leverage sure. reliever for for a playoff team this year. Um, the other two, I really don't care about. France is, you know, he's he's blocked France. also. Yeah, yeah, and Terenz, I'm not sure is a major league caliber no. catcher. So we're really talking about Tremel and Munoz, and I don't think this is a small price. Um, I, I I think it's when l- like in my head when I had talked about what we could get possible trade targets in my head i jump right to uh like number one starting pitchers i I was looking at lance lynn you know that that level of player and when i thought about deals that could possibly work for lance lynn guys like taylor trammell are who i thought would be the core pieces in a trade for him and there's a, a vast difference in value between a seven-war starting pitcher like Lance Lynn and what I perceive Nola to be. Sure. Yeah, I think I would start by saying I think maybe the the thought of acquiring a top-line starting pitcher for Taylor Trammell is probably awesome. probably very wishful. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I think we'll talk about that. Last year, right? I think I we'll mean, talk about that next on like future future targets and what it would cost, but. I guess for me personally, that's kind of what I had mentally prepared for. And so when I saw that it not only took Tremel but also Munoz, who captivated a lot of people last season, um, I, I, I think I'm I think I'm just trying to wonder what So yeah, I think for me though the, the, what the, the Munoz piece so I think the Ty France piece, whatever. The Luis Torrens piece, who gives a shit? Like those pieces, I'm right. whatever. And same they're with the, the second totally fungible from the Mariners. Yeah, I, sure. I don't care about any of those. Um, but I think the Munoz and Austin Adams swap is is like comparable. Like they both have injury issues. Adams is coming back from a knee injury, which doesn't scare me nearly as much as Munoz's arm problems. Um, and, and so it's time it's time numbers. shifting. It's it's time shifting performance because Munoz is not going to contribute anything sure. to this year. Yeah, and so I think I, I, I can reasonably see them as swaps. So I kind of see it as just Nola for Tramiel. I mean, that's where we'll, we'll hurt if we ever hurt, I think, in the future over this trade. Um, I don't think we'll ever seriously super miss a relief pitching prospect like ever. Um, sure. But potentially, you know, I, I, I like Tramiel. I think you were less enthusiastic when we acquired him, but I, I was definitely a Tramiel fan. So uh, the, the thing for me, though, is if – so Nola has about 100 games in the pros. He's old. He's like 30 years old, which for someone who still has five years of team control, you normally don't see them at age 30. And if, and if you do, they suck. 
So he's kind of a, a, a weird case in the sense that the Potters can essentially hold him for the entirety of his usefulness in Major League Baseball. And if he can hit anything close to what he has so far, which is, by the way, 827 OPS, that's higher than Mitch Moreland's career. Right. So yes. he's so far, now granted, again, that's 100 games. You can do, you can outperform in 100 games what your you know baseline performance is, but he's played pretty much everywhere in the diamond. He's played first, he's played third, he's played catcher, which is what he's been doing recently. He's even played corner outfield when he came up last year. So he's he's played pretty much everywhere at the major league level. Um, I'm curious to see if he sticks behind the plate. <laughs> we saw him last week suck behind the plate, and he was like the issue at the end of the well, game it, for the Potters in the, comeback. In the big, the big comeback game, I, I think a lot of attention was on the relief pitcher that, that the Mariners left in, but the Nola was almost as culpable <laughs> as the, as the uh, pitcher was in, in letting that comeback happen. I mean, he couldn't hold on to anything. Runners were advancing at will on him. Well, the good news is we got both the pitcher and the catcher in this trade. So the, <laughs> yeah. the pitcher that gave up the game losing through and bomb to Wires and the catcher, which everyone was a problem, he's now ours. Problem solved. <laughs> there we go. I, I, mean, I mean, and to be fair, I was talking about Lance Lynn as a seven-war caliber player, and I, I don't know if this is sustainable, but Nola's on pace to be a six-war catcher right now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so obviously that's that's appealing and exciting but and you're right he's he's got a lot of control behind him but i i think it's not what i expected it, it, it's just not what i thought that our top level process i've been very vocal in that i don't care about most of the prospects I, i'm ready I, i've long been ready to get rid of top 30 prospect lists i i, I think that there's I think now is the time for a lot of the fans to start focusing on the top five, maybe top ten prospects. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I think are tools to improve the big league team almost primarily. Th- there mm-hmm. may be some players that become you know parts of the bullpen or whatever, but I-, I think on what we focus on, really it's like the top three to five players, like like real star caliber players. And Tramiel, I thought, fell into that despite whatever doubts I have on his tool set. Um I just mentally, I'd prepared myself that a guy like Tremel was worth more, and I think he is worth more. To be honest, I think this is a little bit of a maybe a drop down. But I, I, but the thing is, it's not like a. Sometimes the Potters make a trade, and I'm like, that's just an L. Like, there's no way it's not an L. And sometimes they make a trade where it's like, you know, they give up Fernando Rodney and get a prospect I like, and it's like, well, even if this goes as poorly as possible, it's still better than having Fernando Rodney just sitting there doing nothing. Sure. Um, so, like, and, and given that the status quo is is hedges, you know, it, it's it's not hard to improve on hedges. No, it's not. And it, but the, the thing that's so weird with Nola too. So, I mean, obviously he's, he's old, and we don't see prospects that take off at age twenty nine very often. But if you look at his career, he had a sub seven hundred OPS in every other in every season until he turned twenty eight. 639, 694, 625, 685, 641. And at the age of 28 in AAA for the Twins, he started to put it together. It's just kind of odd. Um, for the Marlins, right? Uh, yes, for the Marlins, sorry. Yes. Um, it's just kind of odd. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't like to speculate on what what's going on there, but 
it is kind of weird to see someone put it all together at that age. And so normally when there's like an oddity in data, like I don't want to associate myself with it, like having like an odd prospect like this, it makes me believe that it's unsustainable and it's just like some three month blip he's put together somehow. But you know what? I, I think this is the type of gamble that a team that's in a winning position makes. I mean, we've had shitty hitting catchers since we got rid of Grandal. And before Grandal, you had to go all the way back to like what? Uh, Ramon Hernandez, maybe? To yeah. find decent offensive pr- production as a catcher. It's, it's hard to get good offensive catchers. Um, and so if you have any chance, you know, it might even be 15 or 20%. But, you know, there's still a chance he keeps putting up a 7 or a 373 on base percentage of catcher, um, you know, that's that's a, an incredible improvement for the Padres. Honestly, I don't personally care if he does it. I mean, obviously we have him under control for, what, five more years? Mm-hmm. I don't care about that. I, I care about how he's going to contribute this year and maybe next year. Beyond that, anything else is gravy, but I don't expect anything out of it because of his age. Um, and catcher performance is pretty, pretty volatile. Like, they don't they don't peak that high. They don't crater that low. It like it generally catcher performance seems to be pretty stable, but I don't, I care about what he's going to con- contribute this year to this mm-hmm. playoff team. And I think that there really is no question that he's a, a vast improvement over Austin hedges. A- assuming Tingler deploys them. Okay. Assuming that pitchers on this staff don't demand to still pitch to Austin hedges, which is a, possibility i mean am i am i off with that um paddock paddock from what i've gathered very much prefers to throw to hudges and there's i mean we've seen this before when grandall was here their pitchers have their favorite catchers and they ask the manager to have that catcher catch them there's a chance that that happens here because pitchers have worked with hedges for so long um this is all, you know, obviously speculation, but that somewhat limits the value of Nola if pitchers are asking to not use him. So I think that's one thing that I'll be watching going forward with his usage in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even, like, honestly, even if he drops 100 points in his on-base percentage, Nola, that is, he's still a better option than Hedges at this point oh, yeah. in his yeah. career. Yeah. Which, which I mean, that's a good solid 100 points of on-base percentage. So, um, so, so now that we've talked about Hedges, Castro, and Nola, do yeah, we yeah. think one of these catchers is getting shipped out? It, it, like, I think we prefaced it by saying this may be a first step in another deal. I, they don't need this many catchers, like am I right? No, definitely not. Um, I feel like it might be. Uh, I mean, there's speculation already that that it is that the Padres are still considering acquiring a starting pitcher or some other impact player, um, and that there's a chance that Noel is just a path pass through to another team. Um, and to be honest, I I'd be okay with that, depending on who we got back. Obviously, I think sure. I do think top line starting pitcher is probably more important than um improving catcher. at the catcher position especially when it's not like a sure thing like as much as nola has raked right now it's, it's still not a sure thing if it was jt well, real muto or some other you know stud catcher that'd be a different story but well and the fallback is we have castro also who is also an improvement hunt hedges mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so no matter what happens we're looking at some kind of improvement over the status quo which is yeah. the whole goal of all of this yeah 
I think another trade will happen tomorrow. I will be surprised if it doesn't. Um, so, so let's talk about that. The the options that have been rumored, I, I think Ken Rosenthal tweeted and then deleted that Degrom was on the table, right? Uh, Clevenger has been one rumor that's been out there, and then there's been a lot of talk of Lance Lynn, who's with the Texas Rangers, who obviously AJ Preller has connections with John Daniels. Mm-hmm. Out of those three, is there one that you prefer, or or you'd be happy with just any? I mean. Any of I mean, them. is it cost agnostic, or are we considering the cost? Um, like, if we're talking about performance on the field, then yes, I will definitely take Jake Degrom over those other ones. Well, let's let's assume that there's a high cost for all three of them, which sure. there probably is, right? I mean, I mean, when we're talking about that level of starting pitcher, we're we may be talking about any of the top four prospects being traded for them. I would assume, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well. So, so Jake DeGrom, in my opinion, is probably, he, if he's not the best pitcher in baseball, he's very strongly in that conversation. Sure. I would not say the same thing for Clevenger or Lance Lynn. They're both good. They're they're both definitely huge improvements over Garrett Richards or whoever the number five is at this point. Um, Let's be clear about Lance Lynn, though. Lance Lynn is a seven-war pitcher. <laughs> like a, yeah, one time. That's, uh, one time. He's on pace for it again this year. Sure, and, and I'm not disputing that he's good, but Jake DeGrom's still leading the league in FIP. He yes. left the league in FIP three years ago. I mean, yes. he, was a, he was like a 10-win pitcher. J- Jake DeGrom is the Tatis of pitching. Yes. <laughs> he's, um, he, I mean, he's won the Cy Young two years in a row for a reason. You know? But at the same time, Lance Lynn is the Manny Machado of pitching. You know, like like extrapolating out the, the, the value that you're getting. Clevenger, I think, is on the lowest tier of the three. He's under control, I think, for one additional year, but he's he's not as good. No, he, he he's not. Uh, I think one of the things that I like about him is the control. Um, so he's younger. He's also younger. So that he, that's one thing. He he definitely is younger. I, I think statistically, honestly, I, I know Lance Lynn had a huge year last year, but I don't really consider there to be a huge difference between Lynn and Clevenger. Part of it's just that, like, I, I still am skeptical about guys putting it together so late in their careers, and I feel like Lance Lynn's had one year, and before that he was he was good, but he was, you know, he wasn't great. Well, and he went like from, he, like, a, being a four-war starter, which would also be, which is basically Clevenger, to a seven-war starter, and this year he's on pace to be, you know, extrapolating out on a 162-game schedule another seven-war season. Sure, sure, but I think I, I think you're not waiting by innings. So, part, like, a lot of the value of Lynn is the fact that he just throws a shit ton of innings. Sure. He, he leads which, baseball which, in innings this year. He led the league where he had threw 200-plus last year, too. Well, I mean, that seems like something the Padres could – the sure, bullpen no, day Padres could probably use these days. Certainly, but when I'm talking about the quality – like, I'm, I guess when I'm talking about, like, the quality of the pitcher, like, you have one game, you have to win, win the game. I would probably put Lynn third on the list of those three guys. But I when you're I'd considering, I, I think I'd still put him second. But that's fair. That's fair. I, 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 and I don't think that there's that much of a difference between him and Clevenger on a perning basis. The difference is that Clevenger has issues uh, staying on the field in multiple ways. Yeah. Uh, per- and Lance Lynn doesn't. He's got the opposite issue. He stays on the field. He throws thirty plus starts every single year, um, which is great. And, um, and but I don't. And think is one is of them is, is cost control to, to Grom. He's cost controlled also. He, I mean, value-wise, value-wise, surplus value-wise, he's excellent. I mean, you're talking about a seven-war pitcher that's making eight to ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. 
Here's the thing, though. I think if the cost is relatively the same between all three, um, like Degrom has to be the pick. I think if you're not picking Degrom, you're kind of crazy. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I don't know what the what you know the the cost is, and I think that's like a huge portion of it for the Padres because as much as we want to win this year, there still has to be some factor of what you're giving up, right? And I don't want to give up Abrams and Gore and you know a third. What What uh, about one of them? Sure. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I I would give up one of them for Degrom certainly. I'm not scared of that. I think if you're scared of that, I, I think, you're, what are you rooting for? I think a lot of fans need a paradigm shift because we've been preached to during the bad years that the prospects were our our that was the goal basically to build yeah. the farm system to celebrate the farm system rankings and i think that there needs to be some kind of paradigm shift away from celebrating the prospects and assuming that every prospect is going to reach their potential and that's how the team is going to be built i i think that there needs to be some change in the thinking to to that prospects are cash in a way and that yeah. they're a tool to improve the major league team and the team is at a point where we don't need to worry. I mean, we do need to worry about what happens in 2022, 2023, but there's an immediate need right now. And the whole point of this entire exercise is to win a world series. And if you, anyone that has watched this team this season has to believe that there is a chance that this team can win the world series. Yeah. But is DeGrom really even available though? Like he, he I, just signed an I, extension. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. The whole Rosenthal deleted tweet thing that I saw was was weird. It's in it my was, head. In my head, I'm really thinking that it's really between Lynn and Clevenger. I, I'm. I had like that that glimmer of hope for for Degrom, but I I don't necessarily think that's a realistic hope. Yeah, I mean, for Mets fans, I would hope not. The only thing that gives me some positive because because is, what 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 would Degrom cost? I mean, I think that's a. I think you're talking Gore, right? Yeah, so he, he, he just signed a new deal that's like $25 million a year for the next five years, um, which I think, honestly, is pretty cheap for him. I mean, yeah. you're talking about the guy who's back-to-back Cy Youngs. He's probably the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, there's a lot of players that I think can make a claim for that, but I would probably say DeGrom's the best. He's the hardest thrower of all the starting pitchers. He's got a lot of things that like go into his column. The only thing that would say that maybe he actually is available is the fact that the Mets are being sold – and a lot of times when teams sell, they try to get rid of those long-term clear the commitments. Li- yeah, clear yeah. the liabilities on the Clear the liabilities, team. absolutely. Um, so, you know, maybe there what, is some truth to it. I, I would, which, is, I would, which is really short-sighted because he's actually an asset on the balance sheets. But that's, you know. Of course, yeah. But, I mean, I think he's, he's Hall of Fame-level pitcher. I mean, yeah. his career has been incredible. Rookie of the year, Cy Young twice. He's been in the conversation for Cy Young multiple other years. He's probably going to win it this year if he ends up healthy the rest of the year. Um, so, I, I mean, if you have a chance to acquire him and it doesn't cost you multiple top prospects or it doesn't cost you all of your top prospects, I think I would acquire him, especially because he's signed and he's not signed for an, an absurd amount. It's not like you're acquiring, you know, Garrett Cole's contract or something. 5125 for a starting, or five, I guess it's 5137, including the bonus. For the best starting pitcher in baseball. Signed through, yeah, age 36. I mean, you can go, you can have a lot worse things than that. So let's say let's say that's a fantasy and that the the entire belief that DeGrom's being traded and is, is wrong. 
And we're talking between Lynn and Clevenger. Are you comfortable trading an Abrams, a Camposano, a Patino for him? To, imp- to, to drastically improve it's, this club's chance at a World Series championship. It's it's so tough. I, it, it really is difficult to make the mental shift and like start to assess everything under those because you know. because through 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 this trade discussion we've talked about like the marginal improvement how Mitch Moreland is probably the largest mar- marginal improvement over the status quo with starting pitcher acquiring and I mean I, I would say both of them are what number one pitchers right I mean I don't like using uh, yeah, the, the ace I, I ace mean, phraseology they're, they're, but but not, we're talking though. about they're we're talking about it ones, so so with Lance Lynn we're, we're talking about a seven war pitcher and he's likely taking the playoff rotation spot of Garrett Richards. That's a drastic, drastic improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, in a situation where there is very little margin for a wrong decision, um, for a poor performance. And so it's, to me, that's that's worth it. If you believe that this roster and what we're watching on the field this season is a World Series caliber team that's worth it to me yeah i see that and, and i feel that way more with clevenger than lynn still I, I i don't know they they feel there's there's like a kent bottenfield feeling to lance lynn to me that and for those of you that maybe don't know the kent bottenfield reference he was a starting pitcher in like the early 2000s i think who had like 121 win season it was a lot of smoke and mirrors now, obviously, Lynn's put put up decent numbers before now, but I still feel like there's so much. He he just kind of feels to me like on a championship team, he would be a mid-rotation innings eater type guy who's obviously still really good. He's capable of putting up a seven-win season, partially because how, of the number of innings he pitches. But How much better is he than Garrett Richards, though? He's considerably because, better than Garrett Richards. Be, be, because that's, that's, in the end, that's the key question, is what is the marginal improvement over the status quo? But but here's the thing. I think Joey Lucchese is better than Garrett Richards. Oh, well, you're... <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, the bar for Garrett Richards is pretty low. You're just trying. You're just trying to back your original tweets about how terrible Garrett Richards was. <laughs> he is terrible. You're though. double. You're just doubling down on what you've already said. I don't. I don't need to double down. I'm just still down on what I said. It's just like as an aside, wrong and I'm doubling down. Hey, so as an aside, we. I remember when we were sitting at Lost Abbey. I think we all made the point that generally the narrative around Garrett Richards was, man, if he could just stay healthy, the health is the problem. And then I think we all pretty much agreed and pointed out that, hey, maybe the fact that he hasn't pitched in four years, there's a performance risk to him where maybe he's <laughs> yes. not going to be as good as you think he's going to be. Maybe he pitches the innings, but he's just not good. Uh, that seems to be kind of coming true, right? I mean, he's older. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have confused the radar velocity that he's throwing with the ability to be a good pitcher am i yeah, off I mean, with that no he he's he's not good he i mean he's he, his breaking pitch looks pretty good his mustache is pretty legit i know he's been no no his mustache his mustache is actually the worst part of it mm, i don't know i kind of like the mustache it he's he's definitely not bangable as is <laughs> I, I i mean i'm not surprised like i yeah, I've probably been the most on the anti-Richards train. And it's not like he can't be good. I, I don't want to say that he's certainly a bust. For me, it was 
the best he's ever been was like I don't know a fringe number two, and that was one time before like we acquired <laughs> Matt Kemp. I don't. You know, like, I don't that's even not think the he's bad. I want to bank on. He's not bad. He's very average, and I think that a lot of people had built him up to be an ace level pitcher as if it was still 2014. And even I, I, though he wasn't an ace, that's the thing. So you yeah, have to like really squint to it, see it's, that. It's kind of similar to, to some of the discussion around Trevor Rosenthal because I noticed some of the uh, Padres media very openly pointed out how many saves he had in 2014 and 2015, like with the Cardinals. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty impressive. But like that was five years ago. Like five years is so long ago in the world of baseball. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It really, like, really is. Two years ago is super long and irrelevant in the world of baseball. Like, I mean, even in the world right now, right, six months yes, ago, yeah. was forever ago. Seriously. Yeah. No. For real. Yeah. For reals. Um, and, and and so like all the discussion of of like getting a starting pitcher, that's the framework that I'm looking at. Is how much better are they than Garrett Richards? And it's it's a it's a all of the people they're talking about are a vast improvement. Yeah, it's true. So, so I guess the question I'm going to spin it back on you. I, I don't, I don't think I would give up Patino or Gore for either of those pitchers you mentioned. But I, you I would. I, I'm not even convinced that they're better than Patino and Gore right now. I know Patino has been up and down in his first couple innings, but it's a really small amount of time. I want to see a lot more of them before I just give up on them. But I would de- I would trade both of them for Jake Degrom. I don't know if Degrom's even realistic. So it's like really I'm I, focusing I on Linux. I'm really focusing on Linux. I'm really. I think I would too. <laughs> I think I, I would too. Well, it's, a, it's, it's an it's obvious a, trade for me. It's not even like a consideration. I would just say yes I, and, and do it. I'm very much a, a there is no prospect that's untouchable person. I, I think it's really dumb to say that under no circumstances will we trade X for anything. Here, here, here's how you know it's like an obvious one, by the way. If if I could give you the opportunity that, or if I could tell you with certainty that one of Gore and Patino will be a bust and will never play in the major leagues again, and the other one will be as good as Jake DeGrom is, would you take that? Of course. Okay, so you could if you could just do that trade immediately when you're already good and about to make the playoffs, and obviously you would be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no question. It's no, it's, and that's why it's a no-brainer to me. But, but And that's why it's so weird that he would even be available because I feel like he's just in, so incredibly valuable. Now, if, that, if the that, team were to add a Clevenger or, or Lynn, let, mm-hmm. let's, say, let's call them the, the, I mean, the realistic acquisition targets – what what level of achievement do you expect from this team? Do you expect World Series? Do you the think World Series, series champion, World Series champion, or World or Series bust. or bust is, is where we're at? Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Which is an incredible. You, you have, I mean, how, how would it not be if they acquire a starting another starting pitcher? Then you're looking at Manny Machado's in his prime. You've got right. a young, absolute stud superstar, the next Ken Griffey Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. You got Eric Hosmer still in his prime. And now you've acquired all these other pieces to go along with it. Like how I, I don't I failed to see how it wouldn't be World Series or bust. That's not saying that if they made the World Series and lost, I'd look back in the season and be like, oh, that season sucked. 
Like, obviously, I'd still be very happy with how the season went, but I think still it's World Series or bust for me. What are they without that addition? Let's say let's say it's still AJ's World done. Series or bust. I think I, I think it still is. Do like, you think it is? You don't think it's? Let's be happy we made it into the second round of the playoffs. No, I think second round of the playoffs and, and, is, is like and, and, the and we'll normally. and we'll build on this for next year because because that's no. kind of what I see. No, I think that's called pissing away Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer's like prime there before prime. before yeah. the and before Will the Myers strike. Too, by the way, Will Myers right. Too. Yeah. I mean. This is like another aside, but there's a real likelihood there's a strike after next year. And so when you look at the prime of Manny Machado, it's this year and next year. Yeah. Yeah. And and, I mean, and, and they need to wait. I, I believe they need to wait those years heavily. I think there's also a portion of um, there's definitely a financial consideration for the team going into the fact that they'll probably have fans back next year. They need to recover the amount of money they didn't make this year by not having fans, which is not insubstantial. So I think how they finish this year is important to that point. I, I right. really do think it is. So I don't know. For me, for me, we're at the point. Like I've seen enough of Tatis. I've and I, I knew who Machado was because I watched Machado for years on the East Coast. I'm sure a lot of baseball fans all, all knew who he was. But you know, for me, I see the fact that we have those two guys in the roster. We have Nelson Limit and Chris Paddock, who are both you know, good starters. And I see the the rest of the team filled out around them. It's pretty damn good. To me, it's World Series or bust. That's what it that's what it's supposed to be when you're a good team. You know? You don't see the St. Louis Cardinals sitting there going like, well, I hope we make the postseason. That'd be a great year. I mean that's not how those franchises carry themselves. <laughs> you know? So I, I don't understand why we why we do that. Um and I would say for the most part my my friends don't do that. But there's definitely a lot of people on Potters Twitter that I think would just be satisfied with making the playoffs. And you know they see it as being some sort of like novel where there's like you know that, looking that, at the plot curve that, and it's like that momentum is real and yeah. that that yeah um, I don't see it that way I see it as like you have an opportunity to win World Series each time you don't it's a failure doesn't mean you're mad about the season but you know it's still a failure so for me it's World Series or bust that's the way I'm approaching this year. You know that I think th- I think that's the way all fans should approach the year. No, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean that's how most fans do in other places. Like right. I, I don't, and I think we're not really exposed to that very much. But that's one hundred percent how Dodgers fans approach it. That's definitely how Giants fans approached it. You know, that's not. Why would we, I, we, we be some weird fan base that approaches it any differently? I I think watching this franchise this year that any any belief other than this team should win the World Series is underselling the team and and lowering the expectations from where they should be i agree and hey um i know we've this we've, we've been on this podcast for a while but i, I want to get this in because we haven't had a chance to talk about it are you confident in tingler's ability to manage a world series winning team no what are, are your you main, i don't know I, I i'm torn he's he's certainly an improvement over andy green and bud black and right, I say that, but 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 you would be an improvement over Andy Green. <laughs> this is this is also true, but uh, I, I still the bullpen management drives me a bit insane. Uh, but I would say there's been a few things that have been really positive. Um, a Eric Hosmer's changed things mechanically. He's said so in interviews, and now he's hitting fly balls. That was something that Andy Green couldn't get through to him. Um, you know, maybe he didn't try to get it through to him, or maybe he was just bad at it, but. For whatever reason, it's now gotten through to him. 
they've moved Tatis off the leadoff spot. I thought that was a huge improvement in the lineup. As soon as, look, he's, he's too good to have hit at the beginning of the game with no one on. The fact that he's now behind Grisham, I love it. I think that he's he's done a better job of managing that lineup than previous managers. Now, I don't think he's great at it, but I still think he's an improvement. And the shifts. The shifts has been the biggest thing. I don't know how much that is Tingler, but they are definitely... More effective this Way year. more effective this year. I mean, it's, and, it's and being obvious. deployed And being deployed more often. Very liberally. Yeah, they feel like a major league team with the way they shift now. Which, so, you know, I look at, look at it two ways one absolutely how how is tingler and i would say you know maybe he's a b minus a b which you can win with that certainly so i have a little bit of confidence uh he's but you know relatively he's a tremendous improvement over andy green and bud black i would say the the biggest negative was just beginning of the year max muncie running into players at, at first base uh taylor running into hedges at the plate and no retribution for that i still hate seeing that and i know this is controversial among Padres fans. I think there are a lot of Padres fans who take a much more pacifist approach on this, but I think that's still something that I'd like to see changed behaviorally about the Padres. But but in any case, like I, I think there's there's some steps in the right direction, but the bullpen management has been abysmal. Really, really bad. So uh, I think there's an underlying issue with, with Tingler. And so I've when Tingler got hired, I did a lot of research on him. He did some podcasts, like when he was still with the Rangers, like some long-form discussions of his philosophies, and it's really not been different in San Diego. But one of the things he's talked about a lot— Can is you that tweet he, that to me, by the way? I actually want to listen to that tomorrow. Yeah, work. yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's good. I'll send it to you. Um, he, he, he wants to be one of the guys— like he's talked about it in San Diego, like like over the off season, he he traveled out there and he always made a point of wanting to like work out in the gym with with the guys, like that that's a big thing with him. Um, and so one of the things I worry about is that when he was in a coach's role with Texas, that's fine to do that. Um, you're not necessarily in a position of authority, but when you're the manager of them you are in a definite position of a, like Marva, you manage people, right? Mm. Professionally. There are tough decisions you have to make involving firing, hiring, placement of people um, that are hard to make. Mm -hmm. And if you're the, if you're pals with everyone, you're best friends with all of your, your subordinates and your employees, it's difficult to manage them in that fashion. It's more difficult than it would be if you maintain some kind of professional distance. I think, right? I think that's, I think there's definitely some truth to that, but I, I would say at the same time though, um, but I think know, there's, there's different, there's different levels. Obviously if you're, if you're firing Tingler, someone, yeah. but when Tingler announces, we don't throw people away. That's something that a team captain says about their sure. teammates. That's not sure. something that their superior or their sa says about their subordinates. It, it's difficult to then fire people afterwards when when you declare publicly <laughs> yes, that you don't throw people away. And, and this is, you know, th this is a, a top level discussion. But we kind of see this trickling down in how he treats people like Craig Stammen, who is a, a trusted veteran, like. If you don't, if if you declare that you don't throw people away, then it becomes even more difficult to demote or or release a player like Craig Stammen. 
right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I would say though that professionally, I've I've had different experiences with different types of managers. So like I, I would say that in my career so far, I've had what I would consider to be three good managers, and then just three that weren't as good. And the three managers that I think were good, they all had different approaches. Um, one of them was very, I would say, like kind of like motherly in her approach. Another one was definitely buddy buddy. He and I text. We text today when Givens got dealt by the Orioles. Orioles fan. Um, and then I, my current manager, you know, I, I would say we're more like peer-like and he's uh, much more aggressive in his defense of his employee. Like he's, he definitely feels like a, bl- a lot more like a security type of blanket. And I think, you know, you can have different approaches and still be really successful from a managerial perspective. But I, I, I do get a little weary of the guys who, when they manage a baseball team, they're still kind of pretending like they're playing for the team. Like or like that's like the mentality they have. I feel like it has to be like an entirely cerebral position, and unless the buddy buddy is specifically to make it easier to have tough conversations, which it can be. Like when when I had a, a boss who was honestly probably my best friend in Delaware at the time. You know, I I think the fact that we were buddy buddy made it really easy for him to be like, like just be real and tell me when I was fucking up at work or being a dick to someone. You know, but. But there's also repercussions of, of having that buddy buddy. There there are some topics that are harder to discuss than others, you know. Um, but I think it's it, it just comes down to the individual. So I'm I'm not I'm not trying to take too much stock in that. I am curious to listen to this conversation though. I'm I genuinely am interested to hear his philosophies. But I would say from like a thousand square foot view, it's been a, an improvement this year, despite the the bullpen Don't get me atrocities. Wrong. Andy Green was the bottom of the barrel manager that we've had here. Yeah. I, I like I, I, I struggle to think of a worse manager in the entire Padres oh. fanhood that I've had. Worse than Andy Green. The other thing, he by was, the way, before before we forget about it, you know, this this is a weird year to manage. There it's gotta be weird. You gotta very large roster and you have right. minimum batter requirements for the bullpen. Have it, so it's well it's having another like another entire layer of health, managing health and COVID, like that's yeah. managing health and COVID, managing multiple double headers, you know, and all the repercussions of that. You know, there's definitely a layer to it that is difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm much more than difficult, difficult than usual. At the very least, it's new, and a lot of times, you know, if like I, I I'm, I'm really good at board games. If we play board games and we play the same game for like a year, I'm at the end of the year, I'm going to be the best at it of of whoever the group is. But at the very beginning, when something's new, there's a, certainly a learning curve. And so I'm willing to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and the fact that it's just an odd year to be managing the bullpen. You know, I think some things uh, he's been very stubborn on, like consistently still giving Craig Stam and HJs during uh, the post-game conferences and saying, you know, we're going to we have this belief. We're going to continue to throw him out there in these innings. I think at some point in time, you have to reassess that. It doesn't seem like he has yet, but... I think there is an aspect to this year that's that's different and like dynamic in a way that's that I'm willing to give him a little bit of you know leeway on. And if that's the yeah. only issue that I have, and at this point, that and just the early, like I said, the early season, the Muncie and Taylor things, and and no repercussions coming from that, that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. But it's not it's not a whole lot of evidence to go off of. So at this point, I'm I'm willing to give him a pass and and. You know, I don't. I don't know if he's great, but I certainly, I think the most important thing is are the shifts. Like statistically, what's the thing that brings the biggest bang for the buck that the manager can 
control, and I would have said before this year, I would have told you it was getting Eric Hosmer to hit fly balls and shifting better, and they're doing both those things. So I can't, I can't complain too much. They're certainly in a better place than they were, you know, a year ago. Um, sure, marginal improvement. On, honestly, that's what, we're, that's what we're seeking: marginal improvement over the status quo. Sure, and and I think also it's it's been better than I expected it to be. Right? If you asked me before the year, what what would I think about Tingler at the end of August? I probably would have thought that I wanted him gone because he wasn't meaningfully different than Bud Black or Andy Green, who were both pretty similar. But I think he has been pretty meaningfully different. So I know he's gotten a lot of flack. Even I've given him flack. And in the heat of the moment, like you're watching a game and Craig Stammen's fucking coming in in a tie game, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard not to yell at him. I, I have to get better at that. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, big picture. I think it's been it's been fine. It, honestly, it's been fine. You could do a lot worse. I think he's fine. He's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, with with him specifically, I, I'm kind of with you in that I think he is never going to defend the team for in a retaliation kind of way. I mean, you brought up the the instance with the Dodgers. There's obviously another bigger one where uh, Tatis hit the the grand slam on three zero. Um, Manny Machado got thrown behind. There was no mm-hmm. retaliation. He he very publicly stated that there would be no retaliation for that. Yep. I, I just I I don't think he's going to be the guy to stand up for his players. And I think the hope is that it, that doesn't. It's easy when the team is winning for the players to kind of just ignore it, right? But there may be mm-hmm. a time in the future where there's a need to retaliate for the purpose of saving the clubhouse and he's going to be unwilling to do it but i am not here to to punish him for that because it hasn't happened yet and we don't know i i think that tingler's been fine his bullpen usage has been questionable one interesting thing that you pointed out just now is the improvement in the shifts i think a lot of fans had always defended andy green's terrible shift you know, but statistically, one of the worst in the league at deploying the shift, while also deploying the shift almost, I, I, I think, the least in the league. And a lot of the defense of Andy Green at the time was that, well, that comes from the front office. Like, that's not his call. I think one thing we're learning this year is that it it may be the manager's call because simply the change in manager has led to, A, more effective shifts, and B, deploying it way more often and and i i think that that's has to be credited to to tingler right i mean that's not an aj preller and and baseball ops credit i i think it's got to go to tingler so i i think what's interesting though is still in the context of major league baseball this year the Padres are still towards the bottom of the league and shifting it's just that it's it's a huge relative improvement and it's really okay. profound against left-handed hitting so they shift like pretty much as much as anyone against left-handed well, not quite as much that one, but like towards the top of the league against lefties, and then never shift against right-handed pitch uh, hitters. Which there are a lot of teams that shift against righties, so there's still some improvement to be made there. But on a per shift basis, they're much better uh, at preventing outs this year. That's where there's been like a major difference. So one, it's just more more prevalent. I think with Andy Green, he, he was like maybe over shifting some. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. It could even be that the front office has just improved in their recommendations. There could be a lot of things going into it. But I would say that it's been very noticeable this year. There's been a lot of balls hit directly into Manny Machado in the shift when he's playing like some like rover right field position. Right. 
and, and this might be pure speculation, but it's either Tingler pushing for those shifts or it's uh, to me, it's Tingler communicating. I, I don't know the need for that to the front office or, or something, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know who to credit that with other than Tingler. And so yeah. I'm sitting here now crediting Tingler for that because, and, and that has been a critical and big improvement in this team's defense. Yeah, and I'm trying to find the numbers right now as we're talking. But um, hey, hey, but it's better than green. Green sucked. Green's shifts sucked. Green sucked. Like he, I, I love seeing Will Myers just rake this year again. By the way, I I really do. I I it, don't have a choice other than to say that it's because of Dingler. So it's it it feels. You know, one it's it's definitely funny to see, like, but I feel like it's like the best indicator we have. We had one player who was vocal publicly. Granted, he might not have known it. That green sucked. That green sucked, and it was kind of like a bore to play for. And as soon as he's gone, dude's back in his prime, crushing it with like a yeah. nine something OPS. Green green was a colon cancer on this team. Just just weighing everything down. Green sucked, and I remember that the the media's defense of him was, look at this roster. Who could win with these guys? Well, somehow the same guys on the team are performing twice as well this year with a different manager. So yeah. maybe the result would have been different if Green wasn't killing everything in his path. Yeah. Ugh, I love that we can all agree that Andy Green sucks now. Every every Padre fan now, in in retrospect, agrees that he totally sucks. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as soon as he's gone, then of course that's the way people see it. But before oh, he's wow. gone, everyone's yeah still loving him. Wow, like magic. It's it's like wow. God, he's the worst. All right, Barber. Um, yep. We've said a lot tonight. We have. Let's real briefly to close off the the episode. What is your ideal transactions to close out this season? To, um, to position this team to win the World Series this year. So honestly, I I think they could acquire another like corner outfield bat that can hit left-handed pitching. So just like some sort of right-handed power bat that could platoon against left-handed pitching and plays a corner outfield position i know we kind of already had that in will myers a bit but i think having another one of those guys particularly because you could platoon him with Moreland at dh sometimes too i think that's still on my list i know people aren't talking about that too much but i, I see that as a potential need i don't think you can play jerks and profar and mateo and josh naylor in left field and be too serious about winning granted they're gonna bat ninth or eighth but still i think that's an area of improvement um, that you could probably get relatively cheap. Um, but to me, it's still, I, and I think everyone's kind of on board with this, top of the rotation arm. Um, I don't know if Lynn and Clevenger are that. I think they're towards the top of the rotation arms. They're definitely huge improvements. They'll give us a better chance of winning the World Series. But I, I'll be skeptical of the price for those two. Um, so I, I hope, and, and I think most Padres fans are probably hoping too, that it's a Scherzer or a DeGrom, you know, one of those top arms. I think it's very unlikely so you know i'll assess whatever they get based on what they give up and you know 
hope maybe they can get a deal on Clevenger given his off the field issues. But um, you know, those are the two main things to me. I think the rest of the team, you know, I, I think they've made some major improvements already, and you know, there's no reason to improve short or third or second at this point or. Even first base, I'd probably leave it as it is. And right field and center. You know, like, they just have a lot of good pieces in place now. There's not as many places to improve. So, you know, what's left, if you can get it cheap enough or you can get a top, top type guy, that's what I'm looking for. How about you? I think my priority is uh, is starting pitcher. Um, I don't think a team that's serious about making the World Series throws bullpen days out there two out of five starts <laughs> I, I remember t- tweeting last year that thank christ that the days of bullpen days are over after this year when we move into the window of contention and i was very wrong about that because here they are um it's working okay so far but it's not sustainable in the long run to continually require seven innings out of your bullpen you know two out of five days like that's a way to kill your bullpen and it's going to catch up to them eventually so Mm -hmm. given the roster we have the options are now to call up Lucchese and and start putting his mediocre performance into the rotation again to save the bullpen or it's to acquire someone that can a eat innings and b be effective for those innings and so to me yeah, I think the offense could be improved with someone in left field or whatever, but the bigger need to me immediately is a starting pitcher that they can count on going out there every five to six days and being an effective pitcher. And to me, those two options that are regularly talked about on the market are Lynn or Clevenger. Mm-hmm. To me, I prefer Lynn, but I, I, I'm I'm open to hearing that Clevenger is a preferred option. You brought up Scherzer and Degrom, and yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously, I'd rather have those two. I don't know if I don't know if that's realistic. Um, but if we could get them, great. Um, the names that are out there that seem to be realistic without an exorbitant exorbitant price on them are Lynn and Clevenger. And so, to me, given where they're at and the moves that they made today, I think it's almost. If you're serious about winning the World Series this year, I think that you need to get another starting pitcher i'm willing to pay whatever price i guess short of gore unless we're talking about degrom or scherzer to to do that i i I think that this season appears to be a special season that we have not seen here since 1998 where there's a real belief that the roster that's assembled here with two players that are mvp candidates um is a World Series championship caliber roster with the right moves made. And I think that when you have that level of roster, you trade Derek Lee for Kevin Brown. You make the the sacrifices needed to maximize your chances to win a World Series this year. And I, I think that's I think that's the position that this team is looking at. I think anything short of that is a disappointment. I don't think that Nola and Rosenthal I don't think that those are the pieces that are sufficient to declare that this is a World Series championship team it's good it's positive it's mm-hmm. a net benefit but it is not it it is not the the, the move that's needed to, to bring this team up to where it, it should be yeah yeah that's fair 
Well, I, I, I have a feeling we're going to have another podcast tomorrow. So we can talk about this maybe a little bit more after trades uh, happened. Uh, I, yes. I do think something will happen, um, whether it's Clevenger, Lynn, or some other big-name pitcher. We'll see. But I, I do think there's a chance this is obsolete by the time tomorrow happens. Hey, but it's great to have these discussions. This is, like is. Un- unlike anything we've had since, uh, I don't know, what, 2000. Six, well, maybe. Our podcast, our podcast started out by discussing the Houston street trade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for Taylor Lindsay. So I think we've come a long way. We've been waiting for this moment since, what was that, 2013, 2014? Before yeah. the World Cup, even that year that I went to. Oh, uh, hey, but how exciting is it to get the Angels' number one prospect in that trade? <laughs> was that the Rondon trade, too? I think that was the same trade. Man, that was a... Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a really long time since the Potters have been good. I honestly do think this is the first time we've ever podcasted where five years from now we'll look back and say, yes, they were actually good at that time. This is the first time it's happened. The first time we've podcasted and they've been good. Yeah. It's a weird... First time, we, first time we've ever it, had any expectation... Oh, God, it smells it does. great. Yeah. Oh, success smells so great. <laughs> it does. Well, Marver, it's been good. It's been great. Yes, great to have yes. you back on the podcast. Yeah, I only had to wait, what, 25 minutes tonight for you to join? Yes. But, you yeah, know, it was yeah. good. I, I, I think I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, if something happens tomorrow, we'll, we'll commence again. But I, 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 think that, uh, I think that we have a lot of discussion going forward on how to make this team a World Series champion. And that's something we've never had the opportunity to discuss before. Never. Never had the chance. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy, and I'm super excited. And until maybe tomorrow, go Padres. Go Padres.